Jude. I don't know if you've uh, studied Jude much. It's a short book, one chapter. So we're only going to take 20 weeks. No, we're going to do four. <laughs> we're going to do 22 weeks on heaven after that, which should be kind of fun, um, at least for me. Uh, hopefully for you, too. Jude is a, a interesting book. The reason I chose it wasn't just because it was short. It has, uh, I think, all Bible books have that, but this one I think hits our culture kind of good right now. Uh, as we look at the very first one, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, when you look at any book, when you start out uh, of the Bible, you want to kind of figure out you know, what, 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 do we, what do we have here? You know, why is it called Jude? It has nothing to do with the Beatles song, if you thought that was. Um, but, but I think uh, when you look at this, we, we get into... Some of these books uh, have very clear authors, and this one does. Uh, some don't. Uh, the audience is not always said. Um, you know, when you go to the book of Ephesians, it says to the church in Ephesus. That's not hard, uh, who the audience is. But here, it, it doesn't really tell us that. Um, the recipients of this letter are really not known, but there's a lot of reference to Old Testament people and, and events that suggest that these were Christian Jews probably in Palestine, which is what we would call Israel now. Um, and then the date's always tough on this. You know, if I write a letter, I always, you know, in fact, if you're in school and you write a letter, I guess if you're in school, do you still write letters? I guess. Or if you're going to do an email uh, or, you know, or text in, on my iPhone, I can just swipe to the left a little bit and then the time comes up and I look higher, there's a date. I wish Jude would have done that, but he didn't. And none of them did, you know, so we have to date these. We, we, because it's very similar to Second Peter, and we're pretty sure Second Peter was written in the mid-60s, because we're almost positive that Peter died in the late 60s, that's kind of where we're going to put it. Well, why does that matter? What's well, one of the later letters? Uh, if you're looking for it, and I know we do that, um, go to Revelation and go one before that. It's, it's really, it's not too hard. It's right before the book of Revelation. Um, so what was it written for? Uh, to warn of false teachers and to encourage true believers to defend the true faith. And that's, I think, important always, but certainly in our context. What are we, what are we believing in and what, are we, what is essential? You know, kind of back to the membership stuff. That's really it. You know, do you believe in the essentials that we do? And we might even have some nuances there as long as we can coexist. That's really all you're ha or asking for membership. Um, but it warns against denying Christ's lordship, which is uh, a big problem, I think, sometimes in churches now. Uh, following fleshy desires, rejecting authority, being divisive, and living for self. I am so glad that that never happens in our church, um, this kind of stuff. Uh, but it, 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 it can get in there. Uh, you know, where you think about it, it, it with, the, with the children's sermon, you know, where are you placing your confidence? I mean, where's... Why do you think this is authoritative? It's good to know those things, isn't it? Uh, so who is this author? Um, Jude. Now, it's Jude, and, and I realize why we do this. Um, first of all, it's an Old Testament name, Judah. We probably heard that. Uh, one of the, uh, actually, it just happens to be the, the lineage of, of Jesus, you know, which we'll find out that kind of makes sense once we find out who Jude is. But the, the Greek name is Judas. So why do you think they don't call it Judas? You know, even in the Bible, we use marketing. <laughs> you see the problem of calling him Judas. Well, I mean, and maybe there are. I think that's fine. But does anybody 
here have a Judas in their family? I don't mean metaphorically, um, actually. <laughs> we don't use that name anymore. Um, you think about it, uh, I, my wife's grandfather was named Adolf. Don't have a lot of Adolfs. I know it was right around the 40s that switched for some reason. You know, and I don't know one baby Benedict Arnold. You know, you just don't have those. Those names, those names went away because, so this is why Jude, you see Jude, it's Judas, but that's what it is. But who is this? There's three options. This could be just somebody that's a leader in the church that we could be, somebody just don't know, but was named Jude. It could be an apostle of Jesus because there is a Jude, a couple Judases. Would that be Judai? No, I don't know. Anyway, a couple Judases there. And the, or the half-brother of Jesus. And tradition strongly supports that third one. Uh, Apostle would have probably let his apostolic authority know. You know, Paul always does that. Peter does. John does. You know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus. And, and he doesn't say that. And it has strong support um, that this is who this is. Um, Jude the apostle was not the brother of James. And it says Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. So that wouldn't fit. He was, James was his dad, but probably not the same James. But here's a verse, it's in Matthew 13, that kind of helps us. This is kind of a good verse to know, because I don't know if you ever thought about that, and we don't have a lot about this, but Jesus' family. We know, y'all know his mom and dad, right? I mean, you've been to Christmas stuff, right? Okay, his mom and half-stepdad. I don't know how you do that, obviously, with Jesus' a little bit unique birth there. But, you know, Joseph and Mary, well, well here, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry, actually, toward the end here, Matthew and coming to his hometown, Jesus taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. So, he, you know, his hometown was, you guys know what his hometown was? Jesus of, there you go. So that's what we, we can get that. Um, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Well, we got information we know. Well, now you get, are not his brothers James Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Um, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Hmm. Are not all these sisters, not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So you, you get some information about his family, right? Um, Jude was one, and he probably was the youngest one. Why do I think that? Because he's mentioned last. That's usually the way you do it. It doesn't have to be. Maybe he's just the most annoying one. I don't know. But he, he's at the end. You know. And then, do you think he had one sister or more? Why? It's plural. And it uses the word all. I don't know. We don't know how many sisters. How many do you think he had? I'm going to go with three. Because then you got three sisters and four brothers, and that's seven, and that's a cool number. So, that's all. I mean, we don't know. And I guess it's possible there was kind of a David out there tending the sheep when these guys were talking, but probably not. But these were his, and his, like all his brothers, Jude did not believe in Jesus before the resurrection. Um, we find this in John 7, uh, 1 through 9, he's going up to a feast. And they say, you need to go there and do all these wonderful things, which they apparently either didn't believe or didn't like. And, you know, why are you staying here and, you know, in the sticks? Get down to Jerusalem where there's a good audience. And, and then it says, 
for even his brothers did not believe in him. Now that makes me think um, when I hear that. Um, why wouldn't his brothers believe it? Because we don't get much of Jesus' childhood, do we? Uh, we get, get when he was 12 in the temple, and that's just kind of an interesting story that is sometimes hard to figure out why that's in there. But, uh, and I know as well as you do that if it's not in there, we probably shouldn't talk about it too much. But there must have been something going on. Uh, I mean, was Jesus like, and, and you know, it's a lightning, hopefully it'll only hit me. Um, was he just like really annoying as a kid or? I don't know. I mean, why didn't they believe in him? Uh, it, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting thought process to see. And there's traditions of what happened and all that, and you get that. But um, but it switched. You know, I don't know if you knew that, but I I Wednesday night, well, this isn't the same. We're going to start going through the book of Acts uh, as our study. And in there, eventually, James, not the brother of John, he gets uh, executed fairly early in the apostolic ministry, James, the brother of Jesus, the number one up here, becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church and actually writes a book, and you want to and see if you can get this right. What's it called? James. <laughs> so two of Jesus' brothers wrote this. Um, and I think what happens is in, in Jude here, not only does he believe he defends the faith really hard, and you, you notice the way he said, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, no matter what happened back then, and, and you know, you can get kind of, and I can do that, I know, you can get kind of flippant. It's like, couldn't you imagine you're Jude and you come home and say, Mom, I got a 97 on the quiz. Jesus got a 100, yeah. Whoopee, you got a 97. <laughs> and you wonder how that works, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of the name, and we watched it in the women's Bible study, and I probably shouldn't drop a movie name if I don't. Young Messiah? Is that what it's called? You guys remember? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's, I don't know. It's, I think it's pretty good. It, it, what it does, it's all conjecture. But this is a, a movie about, it's just, I mean, if I'd rather watch that than some of the other uh, stuff that's on Netflix. But, uh, but it's, he's seven, and they're coming back from Egypt to Nazareth. So they're making a call of how long they were in Egypt. But it's about, a lot of it's about Mary and Joseph, and, and then they got Cleopas, I think, is his uncle in this, this one, who's in Matt, Luke 24, if you want to look that up. But uh, it's just, I just thought they did a good job. I don't know if I agree with it all. It's fine, you know. Uh, I've said that before. If you're reading the Bible, you know, kind of make your own movie in your head. It makes it come alive, you know. What would this look like? You know, it's a little hard with a book like Jude, but the Gospels are narrative, so you can do that. But it does a good job of interact. How does Mary, and, you know, they're trying to figure out who he is and, you know, can he do miracles yet and all that. They're, well, we don't know. Um, you know, you could make the case he didn't do a miracle until after the temptation. I, I don't know. Um, but we do know they didn't believe, and we know why they didn't believe, really, right? Because their eyes weren't opened yet, you know. Sometimes you can, the truth can be right beside you and you don't see it because you're not looking for it. You know, so you have this, he, he writes in this dynamic style, he's, he's very bright, we can tell by his writings, he uses these figures of speech like clouds without rain and autumn trees without fruit, wild waves, wandering stars, but before we get into the actual text, just a quick little, because I never like it when somebody brings up something in a service or just in general and says, ask a question, and then 
doesn't give an answer, and then you're sitting there, I wonder what the answer to that is. And you may be doing that. Why do we believe the Bible is true? <laughs> it just kind of came to me because we're talking about, we're assuming Jude is true. It's not just because it got bound in with the other 65. I mean, we could sneak that in anytime we wanted. And this is just a very quick summary. We'll deal with this in Bible studies more. But we really believe one of his apostolic authority. We believe that every book was written by an apostle, you know, John, Matthew, uh, all those letters of Paul, or an associate of an apostle, Luke, Mark, Jude, James. Um, and so there was apostolic authority, and we've got tradition of that coming through. That's one. Um, the second, there's three. Uh, the second one, so apostolic authority. The, the second one is corporate reception. It, we know historically that these letters were used very early in the church, even before they were finished writing them. And we've got Peter talking about Paul's writings as being scripture, right in scripture itself. So there's a corporate reception to them. So those are kind of objective, you know, the idea that, okay, that we, we even the, the most atheist scholar believes that what was passed down is what was supposed to be passed down. That, that's pretty much, there's so much good scholarship in archaeology and textual evidence. We got what we're supposed to get. Now, obviously, you, you can believe that it's not true still, just because it was written. The third one, we kind of call it like a divine origins. There's something about the books. This is more subjective. Um, uh, you don't have to raise your hand. You're sure you can. You can say amen and do what you want. But when you read the Bible, there's just something about it. It's subjective. I, you know, the spirit in us, and it's just like, it, it gives you what you need as a living word. That's just probably that 118th time I read through Jude, and I find every time I read it, I found something this morning, and I didn't even get it in the outline. There's so much there. There's something about it. Now, those three things together is is kind of why we lift up the Bible um, as being true. So you do it, you, there's obviously more to it than just that, but we have good evidence, I think. We have objective evidence that the text is correct and was used, and we have subjective evidence because of the Spirit in our hearts. Um, together, that's why we lift this up. And that might not be compelling to you or a friend of yours, and I can't change it. You know, God could have said, you know, he just appeared and dropped the book, you know, and golden leaflets. I, and could have done it. He didn't do it that way. I think God did it the way he wanted to. We've got thousands of copies of this ancient book. And when you look at an English translation, you can go back anytime you want and see what if it's translated correctly. You know, so kind of cool. Uh, so hope that helps. I, I don't like it when you drop that and so... And if we did that in a Bible study, it's DAC, DAC, Divine Qualities, Apologic Succession, Corporate Reception. That's pretty easy to remember. Now you got that, so go with it. So, to the text. Judah, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So you start finding a little bit about Jude here. I mean, obviously, he does not... He nay, he, notice he doesn't say brother of Jesus. Why do you think he does that? I think it's the same reason that John says he's the disciple that Jesus loved because I think he doesn't think he deserves it. Uh, humility. You'll find that in all these guys. They're all in women that are truly believers. Even today, you find some humility before God. You always want to find that somewhat. Um, he calls himself the brother of James, but not the brother of Jesus, although he probably was. 
So he uses these triads. He does this five or six times, and we'll hit them as we go through these four weeks. Called looks back to the past. Loved looks to the present, while kept looks to the future. He likes to do those things, these little three things he likes to put in there. Because these guys, you know, I, I don't know how, the, uh, what we don't know, and it's kind of fun to talk about, is how they wrote this. Well, when Jude wrote this little, well, he probably did it in one setting, more than likely. Was he glowing? If you would have ca- happened along when you'd say, oh, that dude's writing a book of the Bible. I don't know. Maybe, it, and I'm not kidding, maybe he was glowing. I don't know. Um, we're not given that information. All we get, you know, is that these inspired writers wrote the truth of what God revealed as they were carried along by the Spirit. You know, so we just have to trust that the God's given us what we want with the evidence that we have. So he wishes mercy, peace, and love, another triad for his readers, which is a typical greeting of the culture at the time. So kind of gets us in, nice greeting, doing good, still got an A. Um, and then he gets into three and four, which gets into the text. Beloved, although I was e- very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So it looks like his preference was to write about an encouraging letter on their common salvation, but circumstances change that. He doesn't really talk about the salvation much in here. So how would we know how to get saved? Well, we got 26 other New Testament books. It's not really rocket science. I think they probably knew each other as far as these being written. I don't know how that worked. I don't know if Matthew was in one study table and Luke was over here at the same time. I don't know how that worked. But I think they were aware of each other's writings to some extent. And why is he doing it? Well, because teachers, these have crept in. These false prophets have crept in unnoticed among them. Well, obviously, he's noticing them. So there's some spiritual insight here. Um, and, the, and then this is one, you probably heard this before. It's the one we use this, you know, the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, and remember, saints in the Bible is just God's followers. It's not people in Renaissance paintings with halos over their head. Um, and it's not just special people that are really, really good Christians. It's everybody who believes. It's the hagios, uh, the holy ones, the, the set-apart ones, the ones who are kept clean. It's not uh, a hard word. But you get this same type of teaching in, in Paul's writing to Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Well, that's a little more overt <laughs> than just false teaching. Um, but isn't that true? What's a teaching of a demon? Any of you been taught by demons? None? Me neither. I hope not. We probably wouldn't know it if we did, right? Um, but if it, you know, remember how Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. So if you're not teaching the truth, then who are you following? And so I think that's what's talked about here. And don't get tripped up on the latter times word. That, that's hard sometimes to get exactly what's going on. Sometimes that just means every time since the cross. Um, and, and th- but there are times when this creeps in, it's, and it's usually subtle. It's almost always subtle. Remember the very first temptation 
did God really say that you can't eat this fruit? It's just calling into question God's word. That's always what 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 Satan and evil in our own hearts sometimes try to do. So this is what he's doing. Uh, but think about this. To contend for, to make sure you're appealing to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So how many more times are we going to get this? Do we need more information? Is there stuff about God that you need to know that you can't get here? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Are there things about God you'd like to know that's not in here? There's lots of things about God and, and about my life that I'd like to know. You know, it'd be fun. You know, it'd be really easy to bet on stuff. <laughs> Lord, if you just tell me, just tell me who's going to win this game, and then I'll do anything you want. Yeah, uh, it, but uh, you see what I mean? It's like there, there is information we'd probably want, but that's not the question. The question is, there's enough, is there enough here? Um, and this is one of those verses within the Bible that says why we have qu what's called a closed canon. We believe that the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New are sufficient for your salvation and in service and following Christ. That doesn't mean God can't guide you, and, and, and He will, and the Holy Spirit does, but always comes back to this. How do we know they're false? Does Jude think there's an objective truth? How do you know something's false if you don't know what's true? Hmm. That's pretty logical, isn't it? You have to know the faith that's once for all delivered before you can even say there's a false teacher. Because it's out there. You know, you have your truth and I have my truth. And, and that's true if we're talking about ice cream. But we're not talking about ice cream. Uh, we're talking about life and truth and eternity and what really matters and what's essential. Uh, the things you go to the mat for, as they say. So this is referring to a body of information believed by the early church, the message of truth that brings salvation to the Hirschian beliefs. It's the gospel. It's the truth. It's, it's, it's everything we need to know for salvation and service. And I think we've got plenty, right? Would you want to make a case that the 27 books, we really need the 28th or the 29th? Do you want more? How are you doing with what you got? You know, I read through this and I'm like, oh, I kind of forgot that. I thought I knew this pretty well. It's like, I didn't know that was in there. You know, we, we, I, we just need to work on what we got. If you get to the point where you know it all, then maybe you can go deeper. But uh, you're never going to get it because it's living and active. So... So what is faith? This is a problem in our culture. Some people will say faith is wishing, kind of like hope was wishing as we had in that series. But what is faith? Well, we have a working definition, and here it is. An active, reasoned trust. Hmm. Why is it reasoned? Because we have evidence. In Christ, based on evidence, and shown by our obedient motivations and act. That's faith. That's a good definition. Y'all came up with that with me, but that's, that's, it's a good one. I like this. It's evidence. We don't believe, like Mark Twain says, you know, faith is believing what we know ain't so. You know, Mark Twain could turn a good phrase, but, you know, that's just stupid. No, why would I believe something that isn't so? That's delusional. Uh, there's plenty of evidence here. That's why it's written. Why write it down if it's not something you're going to believe? So Jude, Jude words against these ungodly people who have perverted God's grace. This is, a, And you see this in elsewhere this is a big part of the New Testament. 
In 2 Peter, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So same thing. Jesus himself said, beware of false prophets. Well, why would he tell you to beware of something? You know, if you go along uh, in the wonderful season in Iowa called construction season, and you come upon a sign, why do they put the sign there? Beware, shoulder is messed up. You know, well, well, because there's something coming. The same thing here, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know, the sad part about sometimes about leadership in churches, I probably could tell some of you things and you just believe it if it was in there or not. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. You know, always check it. You know, the pastor's not your arbiter of truth. Uh, should be a proclaimer of it, but not an arbiter of it. And how do we know? Well, they're not going to be your objective standard. And then Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. That's the tares, you know. It's like, how do we know? What's your standard? If you don't have the Bible, then what is it? How you feel? Sometimes how I feel is a very good arbiter of what's true. A lot of times it's not. Uh, it depends on... Uh, feelings are wonderful, but not as the arbiter of truth. And then later in Mark, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So if somebody did a miracle, how would you know it was from God? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, answer. Sorry. <laughs> you hate that. I hate that too. Well, did it, does it line up? Or are they glorifying God when they do it? That's what a miracle is. A miracle ultimately is a supernatural happening that God temporarily suspends the laws of nature ultimately to show glory to himself. So if you don't have that, it probably shouldn't lead you astray. Uh, so what happens with these people? Well, they charge him with two serious sins. One is uh, they change grace into sensuality. Um, I don't know how much you know about the Gnostics, but the Gnostics, it, we got set sometimes today too. It's the idea that the soul, the non-physical is really good and the physical is bad. And so what happens is you can do whatever you want with your body. Just think good things when you do it, you know. So it gets into, you had this, it's in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, body is a temple. Your body, you're a body-soul combination. You're not just a, a soul floating around just happened to find some flesh and bones to get in for a while. That's not how it works. So you got the spirit good, the body bad, but they're separate. So sins in the body won't affect the spirit. That might be what they're talking about. And it's perverse. Why? Well, because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that even, you know, if you're looking at sensuality, it's not just committing adultery that's a problem. It's looking on someone with lustful eyes. Hmm, does he think that's still operative? Well, yeah, and if you love him, keep my commandments. So the other one is just denying Jesus Christ. This one's not hard, most likely denying he came in the flesh, that he was just a spirit and it looked like Jesus. It looked like this dude from Nazareth. It could also refer to divine, denying his divine nature. That's out there a lot today, isn't it? Uh, 
you know, Jesus as a wandering sage, as a a prophet who was misguided in his his nature. Um, so these sins appear to be moral, wrong behavior, and theological, wrong belief. But we haven't had the fun yet. Wait till you get to this stuff. Jude has some really interesting historical references. Some of them are in the Bible. Some of them are not. Uh, and we'll talk about that when we get to those. These are all in the Bible somewhere. Now, I want to remind you that you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people, and listen to this really closely, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, who did that? I thought God did that. Huh, well, you know, maybe there's some correlation here. It's a pretty good verse. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now that, verse 6 is a fun verse. We're going to get a little into this. When you got angels in gloomy darkness, you got to deal with this stuff, right? Anytime you talk about angels, it's kind of cool. So. And then, then, you know, this one's not as cool, but we'll talk about it briefly. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So you thought we're going to get into Jude, we're not going to have fun. This is fun. This is some interesting stuff here. Uh, I don't know how I packed this into one sermon. What time's potluck? Yeah, we'll go through this fairly quickly, but uh, I can see the clock. It's back there. So we'll get her done. Same time always. But he has this triad again. You know, we've got these, you know, the, 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 the angel stuff, the, the Exodus stuff, and then the Sodom and Gomorrah stuff. Three examples of past warnings of how God dealt with people. So you have this. Although the Hebrew people were delivered out of Egypt under Moses' leadership, not all were true believers. We forget that. And we get this message in the church sometimes. Just because you're, in, you're a member of a church or a part of a church doesn't ultimately save you, does it? You know, I know it's kind of a silly thing to say, but, you know, anymore, you know, just because you're in church doesn't mean you're a believer. Like, just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car, you know, types of things. It's, it's the idea that it's, there is a collective, the church, Israel, the people of God, but there's also individual uh, commitment that they have. And there were some that didn't, and you see this in Psalm 106, that it rehashes it. They murmured in their tents. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness. Ow. Remember there were 12 spies that went to look at the promised land? You remember how many came back and said, let's do it? Two. And the rest of them didn't. And we remember the two, Joshua and Caleb. And I don't remember the names of the other guys. Probably a Judas or something in there, probably. <laughs> but it, it's, you, know, you look at that and you think, how fickle can these people be? We don't have anything to eat, and it appears on the ground every morning. Well, we want some meat. Well, here's some quail. We want some fries. He gave them McDonald's. No, they didn't. I don't. <laughs> Just want to make sure you're still awake. But he gave them what they needed, and they still grumbled about it. You know, the one that's really interesting, I don't know if you remember the manna, it would go on the ground, and then you weren't, you, you weren't supposed to gather any more than you could get for a day until Friday, Saturday's their Sabbath, but however you want to do that, Sabbath, you, you do double and then you'll have an, and don't gather on Sunday, but the first week, what happened? People went out to, that's like, oh. It's like, well, he told you not to do it. <laughs> you know, 
this is, it seems so easy, right? Because we wouldn't have done that, right? I mean, you would have been happy with the manna, right? I mean, I don't mind eating the same meal every day. I don't even like to eat the same stuff for supper that I have for lunch. So I think maybe we'd be fickle too. I don't know. But the idea is that just because that they, they had the covenant eventually given to them through Moses, you still had to believe it. You still had to have a personal connection to Yahweh. Uh, there through a sacrificial system, obviously now through Christ himself. Um, so that one's kind of easy. But then we get to the real fun one. In the past, some angels rebelled against God. We don't know a lot about this, to tell you the truth. There's not much in here. Most of what we know, we think we know about Satan and, and demons comes from Dante's Inferno and Milton's Paradise Lost, which are great literature pieces, but they're not biblical. I mean, they're just extra stuff. Um, all angels were righteous in the beginning and had positions of authority. But apparently, and I say apparently because it's the best guess, Satan enticed some of these angels to follow him in rebellion against God. Now, we think we know this, right? You want to, anybody want to guess how many angels fell? It's on the screen. So well, what proportion? Anybody want to guess now? <laughs> well, this is where we get this from. It's the only place in the Bible we get this. Now, now I don't think it's wrong, but it's kind of not a, it's not a real detailed verse. His tail, this is this red dragon in chapter 12 that has, what, 12 heads and a bunch of stuff on him and all sulfur and it's a real cool picture. Um, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Hmm. That's where we get the third of the, you know. And it, I, I don't have a better uh, explanation of what this is. The dragon is not hard, right? You know the word for dragon in Hebrew? Of course you do. <laughs> you always know that, right? It's knockish. Um, you know the word for snake in Hebrew? It's knockish. Hebrew's kind of boring that way. Did you ever think about that? Instead of a snake in the garden, it was a dragon? <laughs> That's kind of cool. I like to picture it that way. Actually, the, the, the picture Bibles we have, um, ha it is a dragon. I like that much better. D you can like what you want. It's my movie. Uh, I can do what I want. <laughs> but again, this is where we get it. We, we don't get this from... Uh, they abandoned their original position... And God can find them in darkness waiting for eternal judgment. We get, we get the Pharisees talking about the prince of demons, Beelzebul, which is also called Satan. And, and, and we get, so it looks like, and I'm just going to do this really quick, but it, this is what we think happened, is that there was all of these holy angels created that aren't human. They're, uh, they're non-physical beings, very powerful. Oh, Siri's talking to me. What did he say? <laughs> Dragons. <laughs> Funny. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> the, you got to turn that off before next time. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, that's, uh, Kay's not here. But uh, yeah, one time Kay Oshinger was in a Bible study and her, her, her iPad went off. And I kind of looked at her and I'm like, you know, I tried to be gracious. I'm like, well, come on, Kay. And it wasn't 10 minutes later, my watch did that. And boy, she got a good laugh on that one. It's just like, yeah, Mr. Tech, you know, <laughs> coming in. But, uh, but it, it appears that what happened is sometime before or concurrent with the fall of humanity, uh, 
one of those angels who were holy, and you get this from Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, if you want to look it up, that apparently, it's actually talking about a person, but these metaphors come in there, that there was a, a pride in this angel, and eventually that he wanted to have the same power as God, and some people followed him. And, and some people think it was during the fall. I, I don't know. Um, but we know he's real. We know all this, this, these things. But you get this in here. It says that, they, that they're left in eternal change under gloomy darkness. That they're, they can't get to people, it doesn't look like. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now, now does that look like they're on the earth there? They're in hell. It's kind of weird because who the heck is Jesus driving out of people in the Gospels then? If these are all in, in, in jail, a dungeon thing. Well, obviously it comes down to, and you get this a little bit from the Genesis 6 passage, as you can look at the Nephilim thing. It's kind of an odd scripture. But it looks like some of these fallen angels were committed to have no contact with people, but some of them still do. That answers the question. So how does that work deep metaphysically? I don't know, but it's real. But what's the point here? It... it, it it makes clear that some angels were already confined to hell. Some will eventually get there, these demons that are not holy angels. But what's the point? They got punished. In Egypt, out of Egypt into the wilderness, some of Israelites did not love God. They got punished. And then finally in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns were destroyed. Why? By God's judgment. And he even let Abraham negotiate for a long time to get it down to just 10 people. Couldn't even find 10. So I always wondered if Abraham went with five, if would've, he, he would have, but he didn't do that. So. so these towns gave themselves to sexual perversion. Eventually they were destroyed. Physical fire came on them, which is kind of a metaphor for the punishment of eternal fire in hell. So what are these three examples for? They're kind of cool. I'd like to get into the angel thing more. Maybe we can if you want to sit by me at the what are we having after this? Potluck. Yeah. These three examples, they, they illustrate that what happens to those who don't believe, eternal punishment. And if you follow these false teachers, you have a problem. So back to verse 3. The faith once for all delivered to God's people, the saints. This is the consistent New Testament teaching. For the theology and morality taught by the apostles was delivered to the church. We have what we need. God saw to it. It's not like there's no lost books of the Bible. God wouldn't like, oh, I forgot there was that other one. I mean, just the nature of God, we know that wouldn't happen. We have it all in the New Testament informed by the Old Testament. So it doesn't need to be improved on. It doesn't be added to or subtracted from. That is essentially the core of an e-free church is that what stands written is our authority. Because it's both necessary and sufficient for eternal life and service to God. And that's what we're going to proclaim. And I hope for each of you that you figure that out, either through Jude or other books, that, and through the power of the Spirit, that this is what you need to follow. And then we get into it because it's the primary way that we can objectively know who God is. Letting Jesus take us by the hand and showing us. Let us pray. Father, as we get into this interesting, deep theological book of Jude, 
may we have a desire to know you better through the words that you've given. You, these guys went through, well, I assume a lot of persecution and all kinds of things just to get these words to us. People have copied this for years by your power and gifting them. And here we have people translating it so we can understand it in the very language we speak. May we treat it that way, treat it as the, the most and special of books, a collection of books, knowing it is by the power of the Spirit uh, that we have it and the power of the Spirit that we can understand it. May we always try to understand what you want us to through your word and your son. Amen.